1: President Trump has announced the repeal of the DACA program, which allowed the children of illegal immigrants the opportunity to live here in the United States without concern of deportation. He has been critical of how the program was put into effect during the Obama administration, but the president put it in the lap of Congress now to bring forth a potential fix to the program, one that can pass through both houses. To discuss all of these issues surrounding DACA, we welcome in Sarah Paoletti, director of the Transnational legal clinic here at the university of pennsylvania and also dan berger who's an immigration lawyer and partner in the firm of Berger in massachusetts sarah dan as always great to have you back with us today thank you thanks uh first your reaction to this move in general dan i'll start with you uh and uh just your reaction to the president making this move but also to basically putting it in the laps of congress now
2: uh, well, I, I think, you know, with this happening right at the beginning of the school year, it's really causing a tremendous amount of anxiety. And um, the, the students who have DACA have been facing anxiety since the election, wondering whether the president would follow up on his campaign promise to, uh, to just end the program. Suddenly, now we have another six months of, of uncertainty. So uh, it's, it's frustrating, and I, I do I hope that Congress does something, but it's, it's hard to say at this point.
1: Sarah,
0: yeah, I will. I will add. I, I think many of us are are without words. Uh, I think the president's decision and the way he he executed his decision, the way he carried it out, uh, putting Sessions as the face of terminating DACA, uh, does reflect whether it's a, a personal conflict that the president has about this, or whether it is his recognition that. The majority of the American people support DACA, uh, that DACA has been critical in providing some level of safety and security uh, to the 800,000 individuals and their family members who have DACA. and yet, there is a, a campaign promise he made to appeal to a core base that he is looking to to satisfy.
1: I guess, Sarah, give us some background, if you can, on uh, some of the types of conversations you've been have been having with students here at the University of Pennsylvania and their concerns, uh, especially in the last few months.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll say at the University of Pennsylvania, it is concerns for those who are are what we call documented. Those who are undocumented, those who who have family members who have DACA right now, right, for all of them, it's a question of are they still eligible for work study? Um, Students are canceling their overseas programs, right, whether it's an internship opportunity or a study abroad opportunity. They're canceling those opportunities. They're worried about, you know, can there, you know, the conversations that we had last spring, can their family members come to graduation? Can they travel home uh, for the holidays or or for a break? Uh, And and when we look at all of this, particularly in light of the number of students who are affected by Hurricane Harvey in the Houston area, um, I don't know if there is an overlap, but to the degree that there may be an overlap, that's particularly devastating. Uh, And what we're hearing from staff and faculty is that the DACA students and and individuals who are coming from communities um, who have uh, individuals who are DACA or who are undocumented and their roommates and their friends and their classmates and their peers are all... Uh, under an extraordinary amount of stress and this is really having a, a mental health impact on on all of them
1: what's interesting uh, late last night after uh, uh, all of this uh, was said during the day there were some comments by the president about the fact whether or not Congress actually does something with this uh, that he would revisit the issue Dan and and I think that uh, that uh, kind of it, it Brought a little more level of confusion to what is going on here right now.
2: Absolutely, it's it's been you know th- this has been the pattern since um, since the elect- or since the inauguration with the travel ban and un- uh, uncertainty about what what these programs mean. You know, just on Friday, uh, the president was asked. Um, you know, should the, do the Dreamers have anything to worry about? And he said, no, I love them. And that was Friday. Um, and yeah. then Monday, Jeff Sessions makes his announcement. And I, I was talking to the general counsel of a university right after watching Jeff Sessions give his talk. And it was so strong that there was no, there was no sense that actually these students do have until October 5th to try, try to extend their work cards a bit, that there, 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 are, there are nuances to the, um, to the six months plan, and none of that was, was given in Sessions Talk. So there's all these mixed messages coming from the administration, which, again, as, as Sarah pointed out, it can cause real... Um Real fear and anxiety among students.
1: And, and Sarah, obviously, that this is something that, if you go back a, a few years, uh, this has been in play in Congress uh, on a couple of different occasions. And, and realistically, if Congress would have, you know, been able to reach some sort of agreement a few years ago, we probably wouldn't be having these these conversations or this con, these concerns right now, would we?
0: We would have different concerns. Okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, But no, that's right. I think that's right. Right. If Congress had been able to deal with this and and, you know, I think there are competing things going on, uh, not necessarily in the first iteration of the DREAM Act, but certainly in the most recent discussions of the DREAM Act uh, in light of overall comprehensive immigration reform during the Obama administration. And that is, I think, the immigrant advocacy community. Was conflicted as to whether or not they wanted to push through a, a Dream Act independently, or whether they thought that the Dream Act could be a tool for accomplishing broader immigration reform. Right uh, now, I think we're in a position where we can all safely say that it would be unlikely that we would see any comprehensive immigration reform in any positive direction. Uh, and so, I think that to to move forward with a clean Dream Act. Uh, is, is probably the way to go uh, and, and would accomplish some level of certainty. Again, it's important to recognize that there are a lot of people, though, who are going to fall outside the line. Uh, and so that's going to be an important negotiation of who's in and who's out. Um, what's, the, what's the age cutoff, right? I mean, the, the age cutoffs, what may seem rational in the lawmaking, becomes arbitrary and capricious in the lived experiences of the individual's Uh, And the siblings who may miss the cutoff by a day or um, or by a month. Um, And so kind of figuring out how to navigate all of that. And then I think the real question is, what is the president going to do? Is he really going to to use these um, these young individuals as as bargaining chips for funding for the wall or any of the other immigration uh, anti-immigration initiatives that he's put forth.
1: Well, one of the bigger questions, Sarah, is has been in the last you know 48 hours, is whether the original DACA program and and the move that President Obama made a couple of years ago, that whether or not it was constitutional, uh, and obviously that. That answer has drawn a lot of responses, probably no surprise, on the political realm from one side of the realm or the other. Uh, I, I ask you that is, is, What was in place? Was that constitutional?
0: So I will emphatically say yes. Okay. Uh, and I was part of a letter uh, by signed by over 100 law professors indicating its legality. Um, it was clearly within the prosecutorial discretion. And, no, it wasn't of, as as often gets put forth uh, on the anti-immigration, immigration immigration restriction side, this was not a blanket amnesty for these kids, right? Mm -hmm. Um, This was a a development of a program that provided for an individualized case-by-case assessment um, with guidance as to who would be entitled to some form of prosecutorial discretion. And recognizing with 11 million undocumented individuals that we're not going to deport them all, um, how do we go about and develop a system that recognizes those who are here that ensures their ability to work and provide some level of safety and security for them? Uh, and so this was in place to do that. You know, I think these individuals were picked with the hope that, right, some point Congress could act to provide them with a uh, more permanent status. Right. Uh, but in the meantime, recognizing that they were a priority for, for some form of relief, how do we do that in a manner, again, individualized, one-on-one case assessment for prosecutorial discretion with guidance provided as to who should qualify and who shouldn't?
1: Dan, was it constitutional?
2: Uh, yes, and I thought that—Sarah, that, thank you for that law professor letter. It was it was excellent. Um, the— The the idea of prosecutorial discretion, um, you know, applies even beyond DACA. What we're seeing right now are people who have been uh, getting stays, but basically somebody with a a deportation order, what we call a removal order, who has family here, long ties here, who's been getting a stay of deportation year after year. And now those people are are being uh, picked up, detained, and deported in in many cases. And so what we're seeing, but there's not... um, Uh, under the Obama administration, there was a more organized sense of how prosecutorial discretion would be exercised, which I think is is a good way to manage resources. And now, um, if you look at the president's executive orders from January, they make it clear that that anyone they find who is undocumented will be uh, subject to removal regardless of of the equities. And I think that's That's a bad use of resources.
1: Well, and and obviously a lot has been discussed on a variety of different levels, Dan, uh, about the impact that a lot of these people uh, are having here in the United States. I mean, many of these were people that came here when they were 7, 10 years of age but are now— uh, you know, quite a bit older, uh, and they are people that are contributing quite a bit to uh, our uh, American society, whether it be on the business perspective or, or, or whatever. So, I mean, these, these are people that are – and now all they have basically known is living here in the United States for the most part. That's
2: right. And I, I think one, one big difference that we see now from, you know, let's say, 15, 20 years ago when we first started dealing with Dream Act students is that they're out in the open – um, you know, in the late '90s, early 2000s, we would meet Dream Act students, usually one at a time, who would kind of come up to us quietly, and we'd talk behind closed doors. Now, um, if you if you watch the news, there are profiles of these wonderful young people, and and I hope that that brings some, you know, it brings enough political pressure to, to get a Dream Act passed.
1: Sarah,
0: I, I think that's right. I mean, we do, and as I mentioned, the impact of 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 repealing DACA goes beyond those who actually have DACA status uh, because these are young people who who have been integral in our communities, in our schools, and our academic communities, in the workplace, um, and who are eager and and willing and and devoting and already have devoted their talents. They are they were raised in America. They are part of our country. Uh, and so to to deny them that, Opportunity is really feels very cruel at this time. Well,
1: and it's interesting that you also not only have uh, this back and forth, which is going on at the federal level, but you have Dan, a, a variety of different states' attorneys general that that are involved in this process as well.
2: Yeah, that, that's right, and, and part of the the impetus for the president to make a decision now was a push by ten and, and later nine when Tennessee dropped out. Um, Republican states' attorney state attorneys general who. Um, were threatening to go into court. Um, So it's – and now a series of states. New York filed suit yesterday. um, Massachusetts is considering it. So this this is going to be fought out in the courts and in Congress over the next six months or longer.
1: Is it your expectation that this uh, may – and it seemingly feels like it, Dan – that this is going to be something that is going to continue to play, as you said, in the courts for a while, but may very well end up on the plate of the Supreme Court sometime next year?
2: Well it is possible and this did go up to the Supreme Court at one point and it was four four and so now that there there are nine justices, if it does go up we will very likely we will get a clear decision.
1: Sarah?
0: I think we likely will. I mean I guess I, I view the litigation as as serving a a twofold purpose because uh, I don't actually think that this is about the lawfulness of DACA. I think this is about our immigration policy and who we yeah. want. Uh, and so I think the courts provide an important venue for having that debate and discussing and debating it uh, and raising issues. But I actually think that that this is a these are these are often very political questions and um, and the courts get to decide to, to a certain degree, right to what degree is this based in uh, race-based animus, uh, national origin animus, uh, or is this, uh, you know, the, the president, the president's trying to have it both ways, the administration's trying to have it both ways in prosecutorial discretion, right? right. We can exercise extreme prosecutorial discretion when we want to implement a, a refugee and Muslim ban. Uh, we cannot exercise that same prosecutorial discretion when we want to Uh, grant relief to uh, a large number of individuals who, again, the American population by and large supports being here.
1: Well, and and just to pass on some information, Democratic leadership have already had a press conference today and uh, they have already called for an immediate vote on the dream act so it seems like congress understands how important this is and that they need to they need to address this first and seemingly sarah they're they're putting this at the top of their list past all the other agenda items that uh, that are put forth on them right now
0: well it's an important moment and i think they recognize that that if if this is going to if they're going to achieve sort of positive change and 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 get this legislation passed um, they need to seize on this moment. They are they are seeing the backlash and the and the overwhelming support, even within the Republican Party, for for DACA. Uh, and so I think now is an important time to to seize on that and not let it get bogged down uh, with other pieces of legislation and other initiatives.
2: Dan. I, I agree, and uh, just I, I think it was about ten days ago that uh, there was an, an effort to try to do a discharge petition, which is basically where the minority party pushes a bill to get to get a floor vote in the House. Yeah, um, and it it came close. I think it was about ten or it got obviously all the Democratic votes. A certain number of Republican uh, Republicans said they would support this, and I think they were about ten or twelve votes short, which would be all Republican votes. So with the efforts that are being made now and and the press after. Daca, it's. Yeah, I wonder if it's possible, especially since Paul Ryan did speak out last week in well, favor and, of, of Dreamers.
1: And, and you have had uh, several Republican representatives, senators that have have you know done exactly like that with Paul Ryan. They have come out. They have made their statements in support of Dreamers. So, I mean, you could very well see some sort of resolution to this. I, I, I think in, in fairly quick fashion, Dan.
2: Um, it, it's it's possible. I hope. I think everybody who's tried to predict. Politics the last year has well, <laughs> um, true is yes their peril but but I agree, and I think the, the other point I just wanted to make as a footnote to what Sarah was saying um, you know we 're talking about the dreamers, of course, but um, th- there is the the collateral issues of their families um, under the new uh, the new enforcement regime. Um, anyone who is undocumented is is at risk, so that's right. not only the dreamers if DACA goes away, but it is now their their parents and many of the many of the uh, dreamers took a leap of faith, filed for DACA in 2012 or after, um, often using their home address. So there, there is some, you know, there is real fear for what will happen to family members. There's also a, a sadness and a concern for the for the younger siblings who now won't be able to um, to to have DACA or, or believe they won't be able to have DACA to go to college or to move on with their education,
1: and that's part of the concern that we've seen in the last uh, ten days or so as well down in Houston with a lot of the families that may be. Uh, undocumented immigrants who you know may have lost homes uh because of hurricane harvey and they have fear of coming forward because of the potential of of them being uh being marked uh, as somebody that probably you know could be removed from the united states dan
2: that's right absolutely and and i think again one of the uh one of the points in the executive order is that uh, discretion is is really being taken away. We saw this even with something i i, I mean daca is a, I, is a very sympathetic program. There was also an international entrepreneur rule that was supposed to start in July basically uh, to allow maybe two thousand um entrepreneurs who had received significant venture capital funding or other funding um to be able to have a chance to be in the u s to to build a business and that was scrapped as because it is considered discretionary and this administration um, does not feel as if it wants to exercise discretion on behalf of immigrants
1: what do you think, Sarah, could be the impact of, of businesses here? Because several CEOs have already come out and, uh, like uh, various uh, members of Congress, they have come out in support of, of, uh, of the Dreamers. Uh, Apple, Microsoft, you know, the tech sector uh, in general, a lot of companies, GM as well in the auto sector, have come out in support of this. How much influence could they potentially have in this?
0: I think they do have an important influence. I mean, I think it's a—it's really now is a time for, um, for business to speak up um, for the academic institutions, the the medical institutions, right? For everybody really to speak up because I think we there is, there is the, the persistent narrative, that immigrants are a threat to our national security, that immigrants are stealing our jobs, that immigrants are a drain on our economy. Uh, and I think that to the degree that the various sectors that rely on, depend on, and value immigrants in their workplace, in their communities, um, in their institutions, uh, to the degree that they can speak up and say, no, that that's not true, that these are valuable members of our community, that's important. That helps helps sort of recraft and, and shift the narrative uh, so that we can really have a more honest conversation and about it's-
1: I'm sorry. Finish up, Sarah. I'm sorry. No,
0: it's just so we can have a more honest conversation about about what our priorities are in terms of immigration.
1: And it's been one of the questions that that has also been discussed here uh, recently, Dan, about you know how the makeup of some sectors of business... Really, lay out right now, and the fact that uh, some of the jobs uh, are ones that, that immigrants uh, have fit in perfectly for. They have uh, they have graciously taken these jobs, and they have been considered jobs that that maybe some American citizens would not take. So, a lot of businesses have concern that they are going to be losing vital members uh, of their uh, of their businesses here in the next few months.
2: Well, well, exactly, and it's not only the 800,000 people who have DACA because many of them are no longer students; they're yeah. they're literally doctors and uh, working at the companies you just mentioned. Um, but but there are also the other immigrants, and I think it, 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 politically, it's it's interesting and 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 probably a good thing that that the the focus of of the argument now is on this group of Dream Act students who are really squeaky clean. The Obama administration made it made a very strong effort to make sure that there is. No not even a minor criminal issue will will allow somebody to qualify for daca um and so that that's the that that's the argument um they're the poster children for uh immigration reform but but you're absolutely right and I think um it was a few weeks ago that um, Senator jeff Lake said that uh in in talking about the president's plan raise act the president's plan to Cut legal immigration in half and and limit it to people who spoke English and who had higher degrees. Um, he said, "Well, you know, the, the skills that we value in this country are hard work, um, and that that's and, um, and there are absolutely industries that will suffer if if uh, immigrants can't." To, to do jobs.
1: Speaking of President Obama, Sarah, uh, he has been, for the most part since he left office, relatively quiet on a lot of things that have uh, that have occurred in the country since. This was not one of them. He he came out and made a statement about this move by President Trump. I, I guess to you, it's probably not a surprise that this was something that, that President Obama responded to.
0: Right. I mean, I think this was a policy that went through... Uh, <laughs> Far return from this administration extreme vetting uh, within yeah. the White House within the Justice Department uh, and and honestly it it faced some criticism um, from the dreamers themselves from the DACA students themselves and their community members that this was this was a temporary move right this was not a permanent solution right. uh, with the recognition that you know at some point it, it could be taken away and that's where we are now and I think um, I think Obama, uh, President Obama recognizes the leap of faith that individuals made in coming forward and participating in this program. He strongly believes in its legality and constitutionality based on the vetting that it went through within the White House and within the Justice Department uh, and, and within Homeland Security uh, and, and believes in, in not only in the program but believes in the individuals who have stepped forward to be a part of it.
1: Dan?
2: Uh, I, I agree. I mean, when when President Obama announced uh, DACA, he uh, he said that these these DACA students are really the same as my two children, my two daughters, um, except for their country of birth. They are they are American, and that statement is um, very different from what we're hearing now.
1: Great to have you both back with us. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Sarah. All the best. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sarah Paoletti from the Transnational Legal Clinic here at the University of Pennsylvania. Dan Berger, immigration lawyer and partner in the firm of Kern and Berger, based in Massachusetts.
0: For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.